Terry, is the message of hope that Jesus gives. Beautifully shared. We're in Job chapter 21 today. And I've entitled this, How to Handle Criticism. But I was just thinking, as Terry's saying, I could also have entitled it, The Pain of Being Misunderstood. Because that... That is what we're dealing with here in this chapter. So I just, for our reading, I ask you when you find Job 21 to stand in God's honor. I want to read the first five verses. Then Job replied, listen carefully to my words. Let this be the consolation you give me. Bear with me while I speak. And after I have spoken, mock on. Is my complaint directed to man? Why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be astonished. Clap your hand over your mouth. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are able to be here today. Thank you, Father, for those great words uh, that Thomas shared that you had spoken through your servant, Rick Warren. And I do want to say a special prayer for Rick. As, um, I just read this morning, uh, he came back to speak after four months uh, from the suicide of one of his sons. A lot of pain, God. Comfort him and his wife and the family. Comfort people here today, God, who need to know you're there. Sometimes we, Father, just need to be reminded. We miss, Father, that you love us. Um, Just guide me, Father, as I take a few minutes here and Seek to glean from uh, your word truth on being misunderstood, God. And uh, may we just hear from you. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now think about Job. This guy suffered. And and we have looked at this, you know, now week after week. as, As he lost his stuff. As he watched the death of his kids. As his his business was destroyed, he ends up sitting in the worst place in town, which is like the garbage dump, and it, and it reeked. And, and he's sitting there, and he's got sores, and he's just trying to find relief. His three friends come to comfort him. Unfortunately, uh, as we go through many chapters of the book of Job, we get to chapter 21, his friends who had came to console him misunderstood him, and they criticized him. And hurt him. We looked at Zophar a little bit last time. And we talked about the fact that. You know he hit you like a legalist. His his beliefs were, were strong. And, and, and he, he attacked Job with this insinuation. This idea that the reason you're suffering Job. Is because you're hiding something. You're doing something that's wicked. Something that's evil. And that's why you're suffering. Uh, matter of fact. Uh, in chapter 20, the previous chapter, verses 4 through 11, um, he talks about the wicked do not live long. You know, he gives his simplistic answer about the wicked. And then in verses 12 through 19, he, he talks about their pleasures, what they enjoy. It, it just lasts a short time. It's temporal. It doesn't last forever. And then he, the rest, rest of the chapter, 20 through verses 29, he talks about judgment falls hard on the wicked. 
And he says this with a bold implication. Job, there's something you're not telling me. And that is why you're in the mess you're in. It's your fault, Job. Man, it hurts to be misunderstood. And especially when from everything you know, you can't figure it out. If, if there was something you could fix, something you could control, something you could get your brain around and your, your hands around and your heart around and your mind around to fix it, you would. But in Job's case, all he heard was silence. And then he hears this simplistic thing from one of the people who he should be able to find support and love from. And the guy said, you're hiding something, Joe. Um, I remember uh, one church where I served and, and there was some issues. You know, where there's family and there's people, there are issues. And I went to see this uh, pastor who was retired, who had actually served there for like 25 years, two separate stints. Um had a pastor's heart. And I went, and I really didn't say anything. I just went to see him because, you know, I tried to see some of the uh, people who were uh, retired, had time in the day. And all of a sudden, this guy starts attacking me. He starts saying things about my purpose and what I'm wanting to do and people I'm intending to hurt. And, and I mean, he just really hit me by surprise, because I thought this was a safe place. And it wasn't. And finally, I just looked at him and I said, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm not talking to you anymore. And I walked out the door and I never talked to him again. Now he's in the presence of the Lord. Now, I'm not, I mean, I'll see him again and all that. Something happened. And we, he misunderstood. Now, that's just a small thing compared to what Job went through. But there's a pain that comes when there's a place that you think is safe, a place you can go and, and people will, you know, be there to hug you and support you. And they don't. And they don't. This is where Job is. And, and, and thankfully, as we look at Job 21, he responds. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't just sit there quietly, but he responds. And I want to take a few minutes and, and look at that uh, this morning. Um, we're going to look at verses 2 through 5 as we close and, and look at some guidance we can get from Job on how to handle it when we're misunderstood and to make sure we don't misunderstand others as well. Uh, and look at verse 7, though, before we get there. He says, uh, in response to this simplistic idea that, you know, you're hurting because you're wicked. He comes back to them and, you know, this idea of, you know, the, the wicked lives are short. He says, why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? He says, come on, you're telling me that everybody that's wicked, God just zaps them with lightning, sing, and they're gone to eternity. Really? Really? You're looking around you and everybody you know who's, who's cheating the system, who are hurting other people, who are doing all these evil things, they've been zapped by God and they're gone. Really? And then he goes through 8 through 13 and, and he, you know, he shares just examples of, of what he's seen. And in verse 13, he says, they spend their years in prosperity and go down the grave in peace. He said, Look, you're saying that they're immediately hurt, immediately judged by God. I don't see it. I see some people, you know, they're, they're wicked. But it looks like life's good. 
Look at verse 14. He says, yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Who is the almighty that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him? (laughs) He said, look, there's guys out there. They're not interested in God. They're not interested in following God. They're not interested in praying to God. And yet I can't immediately look at them and say that God's taken away all their comforts. I don't see that. And then he says this in verse 16. But their prosperity is not in their own hands. So I stand aloof from the counsel of the wicked. What he's saying is, I'm not part of that, guys. You're saying I'm trying to hide something. That's not. I want God in my heart and in my life. I want to worship God. I, I want to be who I appear to be. I want to be genuine. I want to be sincere. I want my life to be genuine in God. I'm not hiding anything. The point is that I'm not trying to be wicked. And, and, and then he goes on and he, he shares his heart in poetic fashion as he goes down through the chapter. He doesn't have any answers. He's hurting. I, I read a story about a guy came to the church and everybody knew that he was not the nicest guy. He had quite a reputation, as a matter of fact, of getting in trouble and hurting people, cheating on his business dealings, all this stuff. Well, pastor and the deacon said, we got to go visit this guy. So they head out when it came time in the week to visit. They drive into this community of houses. That it's like, like, man, it's like mansions and castles almost. They're such... Big houses. And they pull up and, and the grass is perfectly manicured. You know, one of those yards that's been landscaped. Probably cost a million bucks to landscape the yard. You know? <laughs> I knew a guy one time, matter of fact, in Richmond. That uh, was one of Nathan's soccer coaches when he was little. He got a job for the guy that uh, was the owner of Circuit City for a year. A million dollars to landscape his yard. So, you know. But anyway, this beautiful plush yard. And then this house, you know, just... Wonderful, well-built house, you know, solid. And, 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 and then, he, you know, as they walk down the sidewalk, this long sidewalk, they can see in the back that there's this big marble fountain, you know, water coming out. And then over here, there's this great pool. And then he looks over at the garage, and there's like three or four very expensive cars and several antique cars. And, and then there's a Ferrari sitting over here. And, and, and then they look in the big bay window, and, and the guy's, you know, sitting in this big leather chair, and he's laughing, and he's got friends in there, and the, and the kids are... They're having fun. They're playing. And they're all excited. And the deacon turns. And he looks at the pastor. And he says. So tell me again pastor. What good news do we have for them? So what's the idea? The idea he was saying is. Man. You know. When you're good. God will bless you with all this stuff. He'll give you money. And he'll give you. You know. Lots of possessions. And material things. But what Job was sharing here is knowing God, walking with God is more than my bank account and more than the possessions that I have. It's it's more than even what we know about life now. It's about what is to come with life. You know, Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief has come to steal, kill and destroy. And we see examples of that everywhere, guys. But Jesus said, but I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly or have it to the full. Life 
that ultimately is a winning life. That, that's what God has to offer. Um, listen to the end of the chapter here, Job 21, verses 30 through 33. This is actually from the paraphrase of the message. Of evil men and women who got off scot-free, who never had to pay for their wickedness, did anyone ever confront them with their crimes? Did they ever have to face the music? Not likely. They're given fancy funerals with all the trimmings, gently lowered into expensive graves, with everyone telling lies about how wonderful they were. You know, Job's saying, you just got it too simplistic here so far. And then verse 34, he says, So how can you console me with your nonsense? Nothing is left of your answers but falsehood. You know, in reality, what matters is not merely what we have, but where we'll be. And the only way to be where you need to be is Jesus. So anyway, I'm going to look at these four guidelines here in a couple of minutes. First guideline from verse 2. When you're dealing with a difficult, you've heard something difficult. Listen. Look at verse 2, chapter 21. Listen carefully to my words. Let this be the consolation you give me. He starts out by saying, uh, basically, in the Hebrew, you listen to me. Hey, before you make up your mind, before you go off on me, listen. How many times do we just hear something and, bam, we've made up our mind. Listen. There's value in that. I, I, I found this quote. It said, someone wisely said, it's better to sleep on what you plan to do than to be kept awake by what you've done. Hey, don't regret. Listen to what they have to say. Secondly, uh, respond with true facts. Knowing the nature of your accuser. I said years ago, Abraham Lincoln, uh, his administration wanted to get rid of the postmaster general. But he wrote Stanton a letter. And he said, I'll not do it because all I see here is this is just hearsay. I don't see any evidence. And I'm not going to get rid of a guy just on gossip. I want the facts. Value in the facts. And, and look at verse 3. He says, bear with me while I speak. And after I've spoken, mock on. The idea here is, bear with me. Hear the facts. Hear what I'm trying to share with you. Hear my heart. Get the full picture from what I can share. And then third, look at verse 5. He says, look at me and be appalled. Clap your hand over your mouth. This has been going on in three cycles with these friends that was his support have uh, been trying to fix him and, instead of uh, be there for him. And so Job says, he says, you look at me as if to say what you have to say, but say it to my face. He says, look at me. And so often what happens is, and I've seen it through the years, there's something critical that goes on and the last person people go to is the person who's being criticized. They go around to everybody else. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Job says, don't do that. Talk to my face, man. Don't talk about me behind my back. <laughs> talk to me straight on. Great wisdom. Great value in that. The last one here. Refuse to let the accusation discourage and derail you. Notice... Uh, 
in that paraphrase that I just read, closing out chapter 21, he, he just called it, it's just nonsense. Uh, in the NIV, it says, nothing is left of your answers but falsehood. Hey, you know, talk to God about it. Be, be tough. Stand on the integrity of what's, what's true. Um, I read in preparing this an example of a, of a doctor, missionary, who lived in Paraguay. And there was a lot of corruption in the government there. And he spoke out on the corruption because a lot of people were being hurt. And they arrested his teenage son. And they tortured him. And ultimately killed him. And so many of the people wanted to have a demonstration at the funeral of this teenage boy. But the dad said, we're not going to have a demonstration. But what he did decide to do, instead of having the boy cleaned up and prepared for burial, he decided that he was just going to show the boy to the people exactly as he found them. So at the funeral, he showed the boy's body on a blood-soaked mattress, just like he found him. He was naked. He was scarred from electric shocks, cigarette burns, beatings, and stabbings. And that display of seeing that boy like he was found spoke more than any protest could. As they saw the truth. As they saw the suffering. As they saw the pain. And, and guys, that's what God did with Jesus on the cross he didn't hide him. Um, think about the crucifixion. He didn't wrap him in a clean white sheet and, and say to the world, it's too hard to look at that, so I'm not going to just show him to everybody. He wasn't crucified in a dark private basement so people couldn't see he was there. He was on a hill. He was on a place of public humiliation so that he could be clearly seen. And it was there that he hung. It was there that he was exposed. It was there that he breathed his last and said it's finished in his body. Hung limp and gray and dead. It was bold and it was true and it was ugly and we can't forget it. Because it's the greatest display of love. And if you want to know love and you want to know peace and you want to know truth and you want to be understood, there's only one place to go. It's Jesus. And as I come to the end of this message... Um, that's my plea. If you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you haven't discovered what the deepest love is. You haven't found the one place you can go where you're loved to the full. And that's God. He's the only one that fully understands you and loves you anyway. We're going to have a time with an altar open to come and to share um, with God. And maybe you want to share it with the people. Maybe God's laid something on your heart. I want to be at the front. Uh, if Someone to pray with. Uh, let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. I just pray, Father, that you would speak. And keep speaking. And we'd listen and respond. Whether it's to come to this altar and pray. Or whether it's to share something with the church family. May we just say yes to the pleading 
of the Holy Spirit.